Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television. Outdoors Dan here. And hey, did you know that you can watch Bass Edge Television on Wild TV in Canada? You can, but the great news is it's going to be back on Versus Network started in January of 2008. I've got my friend and host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin, alongside. Aaron, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Dan. Just happy to be here. Well, I'm, I thought you were excited. I'm excited, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to have a great podcast. We've got FLW competitor Terry Bolton, Jr. from Kentucky. And i got to tell you, Aaron, I spent a lot of time in Kentucky growing up, so I'm hoping he talks a little bit about Kentucky Lake. Yeah, you know, we kind of gave him free reign here, but I am sure that you're going to see some of that uh, Kentucky flavor spill over into. He's just such a talented angler. I have never met him, but I'm anxious to hear the interview. And, hey, Craig, uh, Craig Lamb, rather, from the Professional Anglers Association is going to be here. What's Craig going to be telling us about? Craig's going to be talking about, you know, this is a rather new organization, a few years old, but um, they have reannounced, uh, or I should say announced, their additional tournament that will be taking place, the Texas Toyota Bass Classic, uh, down on Lake Fork, where they'll be giving away $250,000. But also, more importantly, to talk about what the organization is and what it stands for and why every angler really needs to, to get involved in this. Oh, that sounds exciting. Well, hey, don't forget, folks, we're going to also answer the listener email question and give away another great prize to this week's lucky winner right here on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that stuff going, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. All right, folks, this is Outdoors Dan. He is Aaron Martin, and I understand that you are a slacker these days. Yeah, I'm slacking. You know, I figured I might as well uh, <laughs> might as well take a few days off, you know. Well, are you getting ready for Halloween or what? Uh, yeah, actually, I've been telling everybody, you know, with that big uh, bright orange ditch witch boat that we've been traveling around doing the Halloween tour, so I, I figured it's uh, before the event actually gets here, I, I, I better get mentally prepared. So uh, well, how are we doing that? Uh, actually, we, you know, we've been filming, and uh, so we've got four days. Uh, I'm off for four days, and we're uh, heading north now and uh, getting ready to, I should say east, actually north from where we were, which was in Texas. But I'm going to spend a little bit of time with my family as well as, um, you know, I am in such dire need of doing tackle organization and some ongoing just, you know, piddly maintenance, uh, you know, checking uh, checking different things on the boat and trailer and getting my boat reorganized after fishing the, the tournament and then being filming. Uh, you know, it's just one of those times that uh, I, I want to make sure everything's organized before we hit the road again. You know, folks, i got to tell you, he, you would not understand unless you've ever met Aaron, but he is such a neat freak. <laughs> I bet you are stressing out like megatons of stress. If it's if your boat is in that bad of organization or need of organization, I wouldn't want to be around you. Well, you know, it's it's not it's in that bad. It's just in what I like to consider a disarray. You know, ever yeah, since so in other words, you what do you have a couple pop cans uh, laying uh, no, on the no, deck no. or what? <laughs> no, I recycle, so those those get cashed in immediately. You know, to pay your salary. But uh, anyway, the uh, no, you know, since going to those Tooks Cooks tackle management systems that's on the lids, you know, uh -huh. it's, it's really relieved a lot of that. But still, the the baits the hard baits and jigs that I keep, you know, in the, 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 the boxes, the Plano boxes, you know, when, after, when you need those and you're just yanking them out of there, uh, stuff can get, 
get all disorganized. So I like to go through that. I like to grab my rods um, because, you know, talking about those that I still have that have those ceramic eyes in them, I like to be able to check those, make sure the ceramic's still good, run a Q-tip through them, make sure there's not any rough places uh, in those to where it'll, it'll cut the line. Certainly, you know, doing a lot of re-spooling, just a lot of reel cleaning, you know, taking those that ardent reel cleaning kit and uh, cleaning all my reels and making sure those are staying in tip-top condition. And, uh, you know, and really transferring over also into the maintenance on the tow vehicle and the boat trailer. I'm fortunate enough to where, you know, I'm running that diesel so it, I, I get a lot of mileage. Basically, if you can keep clean air and, and oil in it, uh, you're doing good in fuel. So I'll take that in for service and then check, uh, check some of the other things, tires and, you know, things like that on the boat trailer. But uh, that's the beauty of the, of the trailer is because when you're backing in, you know, in and out of the water all the time, uh, those bearings in that can get get really um, corroded and get sand in there well I'm running that legend trailer that has that oil bath in it so those are sealed so that kind of takes one of the things off my list at least but you know just routine general maintenance make sure I'm not gonna have a breakdown while I'm out on the water well that's important because I mean you, you have to be able to get off at the time that the gun goes off in order to win some money right. so. well and the other thing is too you know even if you're just recreational fishing you don't want to be stranded out along the road or uh, working on your motor while you're out on the water when you could be uh, wetting a line. So yeah, how many sets of lures you go through in a season? Well, it a lot of the the hard baits. I mean, I I still have hard baits that I've had for you know 16, 17 years. Uh, once you find some of those, I mean, I'll I'll repaint those, send those off to to be repainted. Now, as far as plastics, you know, those are kind of disposable. I I will take super glue. Um, and like on the frogs and that, and glue the noses and that back together to get a little more useful life out of them. But um, I don't know. I've never kept track. I do go really? through a lot of jigs though, because the hooks. I, I break off at least thirty lures a year. Oh, I, yeah. I would say I would say that's pretty. Yeah, that that would be normal. Yeah. I, if there's a scuba diving service out there, I know where you can make a lot of money. <laughs> well, like golf balls, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Hey, folks. I tell you what. We're going to have some more great information when we come back. We're also going to check in with FLW competitor Terry Bolden and some other great stuff right here on this week's Edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. Okay, we are back on The Edge, and joining us today is FLW Tour and FLW Series competitor, Terry Bolton. Terry, thanks so much uh, for taking time out of your crazy schedule to, to join us here on The Edge. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, Terry, when, when you and I had talked uh, um, as far as scheduling this interview, one of the things that, that seemed to, to stand out was uh, just your affinity for structure fishing. It's such a, a broad, you know, when you hear structure fishing, it's like, okay, what is that? We can all relate to it in, a, you know, in some form or fashion, but, you know, maybe you can help us understand and break down um, some of the intrinsics of, of structure fishing. Well, you know, structure is kind of a relative term, and you hear people refer, you know, to deep structure fishing or structure fishing. You know, deep is a relative term. You know, when you're when you're talking a lot of our lakes in the south, you know, deep water catching bass deep can be 20, 25, 30 feet. Now, you can go out west, 
and guys will tell you about catching bass 40 and 50 foot deep, which, you know, at times in certain lakes in the, in the south, you know, Table Rock and some of those lakes, I know, you know, we, we do, we see times where we catch bass that deep, and, of course, you know, but it's not always deep. It can be, you know, shallower breaks, 5 to 10 foot breaks, or, you know, I've got some, some places that I fish, sometimes it only drop 4 or 5 feet, but it's any it's any type of structure, whatever that might be underwater, some of it, very steep it might go from 10 foot to 25 foot some of it goes from five foot to eight foot um but you know it's anything under the water i kind of look at it as anything that you have any type of a depth change that you can't see that's how i kind of like to refer to any type of structure fishing so does it necessarily i mean when you think of structure is it are we talking about more like drop-offs and ledges and things like that or are we referring to you know submerged grass beds and stumps and pole timber and or the, all the above well i always look at it as all of the above um you know in, in certain parts of the country you know the the timber sometimes can kind of give away to where creek channels bend where you see the edge of timber and then you don't um you know and you can even use grass lines a lot of times they'll kind of give away an edge or a break you know where you can see the grass and where you don't um but I kind of throw it all into the same combination uh, because anymore, as we we all become better bass fishermen, you know, and now these days we have our, our fishermen have such a, a, a the learning curve's not as great as it used to be, and a lot of our shallower fish they become, you know, they they become more educated a little bit faster. But now we're starting to see the world of deep water fishing is really, you know, we're starting to educate those fish too because of the. The technology we have today and these side finders and GPSs and things of that nature. So I kind of throw it, I, you know, I think there's still a lot of hidden areas out there underwater in those lakes as far as deep structure where there's still these schools of bass that's never seen lures. So do you think that the there's a, a more of a push by the fish because of, of pressure and things along those lines to where, you know, they're taking up more residence on, on this, this structure or... Have they always been there? Or both? Well, I think I think for the most part, in some lakes, I think they've always been there. Uh, but in some lakes, I, I know I, I've grown up on Kentucky Lake, which is notorious for its structure fishing. It always has been for years. And Kentucky Lake is a lake that was formed, uh, I believe Harry Truman dedicated the dam, so that had been back in the 40s. So, you know, it's an older lake. It doesn't have as much shallow cover and as the lake's gotten older, the water started to get cleaner. So you don't have as much dirty water and shallow cover in the backs of the creeks. So I think you've started to, you know, in my, you know, 20 years of fishing on the lake, I think you've seen that lake, as well as a lot of lakes in our countries, as they get older and the sediment gets away from the bank and it becomes more rocky and the water clears, I think you've seen start to see pushes by more fish to the deeper structure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when... How can you break down? Because at, at first glance, when you when you hear and hear others, and then also go out and try it, it can be somewhat intimidating, you know, to to figure out fish that are that are holding on this structure. How do you go about whether it be a, a lake that you have experience on, or a lake that possibly that you've never been on before? What tips and and what's your process that you go through for breaking that down and what to look for? Well, I usually break it down into two sections you've got you've got your creeks and then you've got your main body of the lake um you know typically um whenever you're fishing um say in the fall or say in the in the 
post-spawn, say in, in parts of the country that may vary from March till the end of June, when I'm dealing with post-spawn, I look at a lot of the structure, as far as ledge or creek type structure, any any break. I look at them from the mouth of the creek back into the ba- or to the back of the creek, because those fish, as they're coming off, that's the first place they're going to stop at as they make their way out. Now, you've also got a population of bass that live on the main lake, but they come into the bank to spawn. In some areas, some lakes, they spawn out in the middle of the lake. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen that on Lake Gunnersville where the fish spawn on top of the grass hump. So you've kind of got two populations of bass is what you have to remember. You've got a population that lives around that main lake. They may spawn on that main lake, or they may go to the bank or go to a creek. And then you've got a series of fish that live in those creeks. And I usually start my search first at the beginning of the post-spawn in the creeks. Um, And then as you get later in the summer, I kind of focus more out onto the main lake. The main lake is probably the more intimidating uh, place for most anglers because a lot of times you get out in the middle of some of these lakes and you're you're a long ways away from the bank. Right. You know, when you when you're in a creek, sometimes you're not that far, and you and you can you can kind of line up a group of trees or the end of a point, and you can kind of make sense. But once you start getting down in the middle of that lake, that's when it really becomes intimidating to a lot of fishermen. So being here in the first half of of October, you know where is that? Where's your high percentage search area going to be? Your focus. Well, Typically, I would look in two areas. Um, you know, of course, you know, you you always hear people talk about the typical fall pattern of back going back up into the creeks and the bait and the migration of the bait back into the creeks, and that's going to be one area. But another area that I really focus a lot on is out on the main body of the lake, on flats on the main body of the lake. And that could be, being a flat, that could be one that's attached to the bank, and that also could be a flat that's not attached to the bank. I know it here on Kentucky, like, I catch a lot of a lot of fish here, you know, out in the lake in the fall on those, of course, Kentucky Lake has big, massive flats. And I'll look along the breaks of those flats, and a lot of times whenever you're dealing in the fall, for the most part, you have a migration, your bait comes back up shallower, so it starts to get up on top of these points or creek channels or flats, wherever it may be. So a lot of times those fish will get way up on top of those things, and sometimes they may be two or three casts up on top of it. And then what about as far as specific in, in, in your example here, what are you using to, to target those fish with? What type of bait? Well, generally I'll start out, especially if I'm in, I'll start out with a, uh, you know, a power bait, a search type bait, whether that might be a topwater you know, if I'm dealing with uh, shallow grass, shallow stumps up on tops of these breaks, it might be a topwater, a crankbait, a spinnerbait, which is spinnerbait you can fish, you know, from shallow all the way down to 20, 25 foot deep, you know, with, with just by varying the weight or size of the bait. So I usually start out using search baits such as crankbaits, rattletraps, topwater, spinnerbaits, and try to kind of move around and try to get a bite. And then... You know, if, if I'm not doing well doing that or if I find a few fish, then I can back that up with worms or jigs. Okay. And, and talking about that, you know, the, the big spinnerbaits of, of fishing those, those deeper down to that 25-foot range, you know, what's, what are you looking for? When do you know to pick that, that big spinnerbait up? And when you do, what size is it? What type of blades and that are you using to target those fish with? Well, typically, I've always preferred uh, a three-quarter ounce spinnerbait. Um, now, they make spinnerbaits all the way up to an ounce, ounce and a half, but I've always preferred three-quarter ounce. 
And I use two different blade combinations, one being a Colorado Willow, uh, usually about a, a number two uh, to a three Colorado with a number five Willow Leaf. And then in the double Willow, I'll use a number two or a three in the front Willow Leaf blade and then a number five in the back. I always stick with the number five Willow Leaf on the three-quarter ounce bait because that seems to be the one blade size that on that three-quarter ounce bait, even when you fish it at a real slow rate of speed, that blade will still make a full rotation mm-hmm. and actually put out a vibration. Now, you can go to a number six, but usually if you fish it really, really slow, the, bait, the, the blade won't make a full rotation. It'll just kind of wallow behind the bait. So really, to use a number six, you probably need to go up to a one-ounce bait. But... I'll typically use that, um, and I prefer a five-to-one retrieve, a slow retrieve reel, and usually a 15 to 17-pound uh, fluorocarbon line. And uh, you know, I always tell people the great thing about a spinnerbait is if your if your boat's sitting in 20 feet of water, and you make a cast up on top of a break, and it's 10 foot deep, you can make that cast, allow that bait to sink to the bottom. And you can fish every bit of that ledge from 10 foot to almost to 20 feet. Of course, you're going to bring the bait up as you get closer to the boat. But you're able to cover that entire ledge. In other words, with a crankbait, when you throw it out, it's, it only reaches its maximum depth for a certain point, and then it's out of there. Sure. So are you bait, letting that, that, as you're coming down the face of that, of that break, are you wanting to stay a certain distance off the, off the, the bottom or off that break as you're coming down? Yeah, the way I explain it to people is I'll fish a spinnerbait very slow, almost, you know, you see people slow roll baits in the wintertime or in, in March or in the spring and cold weather, and as I'm reeling that bait, I will almost hesitate, and it won't be a constant steady retrieve. As I come off that break, I have to almost stop every now and then through my rotation of my reel handle and hesitate just a few seconds, and what I'm doing is I'm allowing that bait to kind of just kind of float is is the is what I get in my head is I want that bait to just kind of float right along the edge of that break, um, not always touching the bottom, but staying within a few feet of the bottom. And most of the times, whenever they they hook up on it, is it an aggressive strike or is it just kind of the rod loads up? Well, I mean, it it just depends. I mean, um, I, I think if you if you you know, spinnerbait fishing something shallow or deep, you know, a lot of times most spinnerbait fishermen you get used to the feel of the blades and as it pulls through the water and you know a lot of times the the strikes are usually violent but every now and then you'll just something will change in the rotation or the pull of that bait back to the boat and you know a lot of times you know you can ask somebody that's fishing a spinnerbait you say man did he hit it hard and you'll say well you know i just knew he hit it well a lot of times a, a bass will run up behind a spinnerbait and take it in and he'll kind of come towards you, and that's what you feel is just when he takes the water away from those blades. That's how that's kind of one way to describe it. But usually, most of the strikes are you're usually very violent, or or the rod just loads up. Now, are you are you uh, tipping that with a trailer with any kind of a uh, of a rubber trailer or a trailer hook? I I usually don't use a trailer hook. Um, I do always use a, a either a zoom like a fork tail trailer mm-hmm. or a split tail trailer, excuse me, or a ribbon tail type trailer. Um, I always like a trailer. I think whenever you're fishing it in deeper depths, I think it gives a little bit of a profile to the bay. I think it always helps. Um, but I normally don't use a trailer hook, usually not when I'm slow rolling the bait. I've kind of got a theory that, you know, he's either going to get it or he's not. Sure. 
And then to back up one thing that you said earlier, you know, is after you, you proceed and go through with your search baits being a topwater crankbait or a spinnerbait in this case, you know, then you switch to um, more of your bottom focus base baits. Right. Can you talk a little bit about there's a technique, you know, that I think was perfected there on Kentucky Lake, which is called stroking the jig. Right. Um, talk a little bit about what you're using and, and how that process works. Well, starting off, I use a, I use a 7 to 1 Garcia Revo high-speed retrieve reel, and usually 12-pound, I use a 12-pound Berkeley fluorocarbon. I usually stick with 10 and 12-pound fluorocarbon lines, and there's, there's kind of a two-fold purpose for that uh, when slack line fishing and jig. Number one is, of course, you get, a, you get a better feel, and number two, I like the smaller diameter line because whenever you, whenever you lift that bait up off the bottom and that bait starts back, you want that smaller diameter allows the bait to fall more in a straighter fashion back toward the bottom. So you get a straight, when you pull it up and let it fall back, it falls, it's going to fall forward some, but the smaller diameter line helps it go back a little bit straighter than, say, a bigger diameter line. And, of course, all fluorocarbon sink, so that also helps in our, in our, in our fall of our jig. But I, 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 I back that up. I use a 785 G Loomis a extra heavy action rod. And the reason that is is because a lot of times when you're slack line fishing a jig, when you lift it up and you and you and you you almost throw the slack back to it. You almost let the rod you you bring it up to twelve o'clock and let the rod go back to ten. So you're kind so, of popping it. Yeah, you're kind of popping it, but it, you're leaving the slack in the line. Uh, like I said, instead of we're all taught when we throw our bait out there to pick that slack up and and lift the bait. Well. You, you don't reel all that slack. You leave some of the slack there because that you're going to use that when you pick it up. When you lift the rod, the line, as it, as it bows up off the water, will almost make a, a ripping sound as it comes through the water. It'll almost swish sometimes. And when you let that line go back, the bait will go back to the bottom. But a lot of times, if you'll watch your line, you'll see the line stop as it goes back or you'll see it jump. And, of course, then you set the hook. But a lot of times, those bass will just get the bait, and you'll never feel them. So when you go to pull the slack back up, you'll feel the tension of the fish. Well, as you come up on him and you feel that fish, you don't have enough time to reel back down and set the hook. You've got to keep rolling your wrist and reeling. So that's where the extra heavy rod comes in, the fluorocarbon line, the low stretch, the heavy rod, and then the 7-to-1 reel is to take that slack up and to get a good hook. And also, we always, I always use, I use a number of different jigs. I use uh, Stanley jigs. I use a 916-ton Stanley jig with a casting hook, or I use a War Eagle jig with a light wire hook. And I want those lighter wire casting-type hooks, and that's so I don't have as much steel, like, say, a flipping jig hook would have, or a flipping hook would have. I want a, I want a small amount of, or diameter of hook. So when I do pick up, it doesn't take a lot of force to put, to, to drive that the hook into the fish's roof of his mouth. I see. And then any any particular color? Well, I, you know, I'm pretty basic on color. Uh, you know, black and blue is, of course, a standby. Um, pumpkin and green flake or root beer um, is, is another. And brown. So I stay pretty basic in my three jig color choices. So with with the jig and then also with uh, fishing the, the bigger spinnerbait, the slow rolling of the spinnerbait, is that a technique that is, is applicable regardless of, of geographic area? 
Yeah, it is. I've used, like I said, I've used. Uh, I mean, you can also, you can. I've, I've gone to places, different places across the country, and I've, I've actually, if you can ever get on a lake where you have hydrilla, and you can get on an edge of hydrilla, and you know, a lot of times hydrilla will have a big massive wall, but then you'll have like a point that'll taper out where the hydrilla gets shorter. I mean, I've caught fish slacklining uh, a jig on the edge of uh, hydrilla as it tapers out. Um, I've done that in Texas. Uh, I remember I went to Lake Gaston one time in Virginia and, and caught them there. Um, uh, you know, I, like I said, I've caught them doing these techniques all up and down the Tennessee River, sure. of course. Lake Eufaula, Alabama is another place, you know, that's well-known structure fish. I've caught them, you know, slackline in a jig, slow rolling a spinnerbait there. Um so it's it's you know, really it's a it's a diverse presentation that that really has no boundaries as far as where you're at in the country. That's correct. That's correct. You can do it in a number of locations. Well, in our last closing minutes here, Terry, as we're almost out of time, you know, we're going to have the opportunity to get some to spend some time together in 2008, of which I'm I'm looking forward to on on Clark Hill. Uh, any teasers there as far as what what uh, what might be going on? Well, I don't know. I got a feeling we'll probably be fishing off the banks. <laughs> Good deal. So we'll get to try out some of these uh, these principles here that you just outlined for us. I hope we do. I hope we do. Well, Terry, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I, I really appreciate uh, your information that you provided on not only structure fishing, but also with regards to uh, the spinnerbait and, and the jig. And we wish you uh, continued success. And I'm looking forward to us hooking up again here in 2008. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Sounds good. We'll talk to you soon, Terry. All right. See you. All right, folks, Aaron and I are talking a little bit about Terry, what Terry had to say. Now, i got to ask you right off the bat, Colorado's willows, he's talking about throwing those big willows. Now, is it really that important to get that, that big of a size bait? Well, you know, keying in on the structure fishing, and again, structure is, is kind of like when you're talking about deep. It's a relative term. Structure can be the humps. It can be stumps. It can be, you know, docks, whatever. But, you know, the way, way he's referring to and throwing these big spinnerbaits is, it, as he was talking about, floating that bait along that edge. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why he, he mentions as far as using that number five willow um, on the back, if you're using a, a combination with a Colorado on the front or just a double willow is because as you're slow rolling you know if you're fishing in that 20 foot like he was referencing uh, and you let that sink down to the bottom and let's say that ledge is at 12 feet that drops off and you want that to come down the face of that ledge and as you're bringing that towards the boat well obviously the bank is tapering off so you've got to slow that down and let that go with the contour of the bottom if you go to a bigger size blade other than that like let's say a number six um, and you start reeling that, you're not going to be able to keep your depth as well as keep that blade turning because you want to make sure that that blade is going in a full rotation other than just setting, you know, wobbling back and forth. You want to make sure that that is actually doing what it's supposed to do to create the flash to generate the strike. So that's really what he's getting to and, and why he is so adamant on throwing that number five. Um, but, you know, I just thought that, that he brought a lot of, of really good information to not only the spinnerbait but also, you know, throwing that jig. Yeah. Well, you know, to me, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, if I was going to try and slow that down to go with the slope of the structure, 
Wouldn't you throw a bigger trailer on the back of that? Yes, that that is one thing that that will allow you to do is, and he talked a little bit about that, like using a ribbon tail trailer, um, and and that's really that's one of the things that he does, you know. Yeah. But he really likes that three quarter ounce versus say the ounce or the ounce and a quarter because that's what he have has confidence in, you know. Mm-hmm. When you ask him that. Um, it's not that there's a rhyme or reason, but he just wants to. He's found that that number five combination um, willow worked with a three-quarter ounce head is great for those applications of fishing along those those channel swings. Boy, he certainly had a lot of confidence in his gear ratio as well, didn't he? Well, no question. And, and again, talking about slowing it down and slowing your presentation down, you know, he's one uh, of the anglers that really likes to make sure that that reel is a slower geared reel that way there is no temptation to to reel it too fast and and pull that that bait out of the strike zone you know me on the other hand i'm a little different it's not that one is right or wrong i prefer to have all of the same gear ratios so that i can control you know how fast or how slow that i'm cranking that so again it's just two totally different schools of thought but he's certainly um you know he's certainly very confident in his approach and certainly has the winnings to prove it yeah. Okay. Stroking a jig. Explain that to me. Well, again, that stroking a jig. That was a you know predominantly. I th- I think I'm correct in saying this. That came out of the of Kentucky. But it, it's fishing that jig on the slack line. And when you throw it out there and you more or less kind of bring your your rod tip from the six to twelve o'clock, uh, you do it in a rather quick motion. It's almost kind of like popping it off the bottom. But then really what you're doing, it's almost like you're throwing the slack back onto the water, and you allow that bait to fall completely, almost vertically back down. Uh, on that slack line and a lot of times what happens is when that falls back down you know that is going to be to where um, those fish will will hit that on the fall okay well that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah well that was exciting you know i hate to do this to you but we got to run and take a break i was just getting warmed up i know you. <laughs> all right folks we're going to be right back with my favorite and soon to be yours the product giveaway and listener emails and hey i got a heads up here that we might actually have a midwestern question coming up uh-oh Yeah, so I think our little talk a couple weeks ago did some good. All right, in the know. So keep it right here on The Edge, and we'll be back with the product giveaway and listener email section right after this. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140. And best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare KeelGuard. Thanks, MegaWare KeelGuard. All right, we're back on the edge. Outdoors Dan, he's Aaron Martin, and it's time to award this week's lucky winner. And Aaron, i got to tell you, us talking a few weeks ago about getting the Midwest involved paid off. Yeah, yeah, I think it did. Yeah, this week's winner is going to receive a supply of Mother's product for detailing both his boat and auto, and it goes out to Chris from Sydney, Ohio. So, Chris, thanks for paying attention. There we go. Yeah, and we got a wonderful question. Now I'm going to hand that over to you, Mr. Martin. Yeah, it comes actually in from Dominic in Natchitoches, Louisiana. I bet now, you didn't know it, that's how you pronounce Nacogdoches it. Is it Natchitoches or is it Nacogdoches? Nope, it's Natchitoches. I really? believe Nacogdoches is in Texas and well, it, okay. Natchitoches is in Louisiana. See, I learn something new every day. There we go. But, yeah. uh, you know, if if anyone else has a differing opinion from that, but that's how I know it. So, anyway. But he's, he wants to know, what is the best all-purpose knot for beginning anglers? Well, and, I can tell you right off the bat, I don't even have to rely on your professional opinion here because 
this is one I can handle. It's the Palomar knot. There you go. Thank Man, you. Impressed. Yeah, that's my. Old, you know what? Virgil watching Virgil Ward. Did you watch Virgil Ward growing oh, up, or are yeah. you too young for him? Oh no, I watched Virgil Ward. Did you? Still the Palomar knot is the first knot I learned. Is that right? I'll, it is. That is. You know, I did not learn that knot until man, I was probably sixteen or seventeen. Really? Yep. No kidding. No kidding. Well, you are from Sullivan. Well, yeah. <laughs> We won't go there. Yeah, so, but no, you know what, right Aaron? Honestly, right. honestly, the polymer knot, I love it. But you, you know, with you being as, with all the different situations and rigs and stuff you do in tournaments, how versatile is a polymer knot? It is. It's it's very versatile. Versatile. Um, you know, I feel that it's probably one of the easiest to tie. Um, it's extremely strong. You know. It can be used really on anything from jigs to spinner spinner baits rather, and and everything in between. You know, I, I think there is a couple things that you got to keep in mind though that uh, to make sure that the line when you put that through, let's say if you're talking about a jig and you're bringing that through the eye of the hook, make sure that that line does not overlap on top of itself because you actually have two strands of line that's coming through the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, or I'm sorry, through the eye of the hook. The other thing is that uh, as prior to cinching that down to actually tightening up that knot, you want to make sure that uh, that line is moistened or wet. Uh, normally you can just stick it in your mouth, kind of lick it, and then pull it down and get that, that um, knot good and cinched tight. Uh, that way that, that ensures that there's no play. There's not going to be, you know, it's really going to minimize the opportunity for that, to, that knot to back off. Yeah, well, and you know, for, from kids up, it's really one of the easiest knots to teach someone. And uh, I think it's got great hook set strength on it. I, I have not really lost a lot of fish with a, with a polymer knot. Yep, no question. So, so Dominic, uh, hopefully that helps. But there is a, a laundry list of knots that's out there in certain applications. But uh, we'll get into those another time. But I appreciate the question. Now, can they go to BassEdge.com and see knots? They, they can. Um, actually, what we're going to do, and that's one of the things that, uh, by getting into it at a different time, we're going to have a, a special section that will be coming out in streaming video uh, here within about the next six to eight weeks that is going to go through and do graphic representations as well as have someone tying those knots so you can actually see, and we're going to do it with rope, uh, so that you can actually see the difference. We'll use two colors of rope. Um, because it's you know it's it's really hard sitting there looking at a picture on the internet. Say yeah. okay, how in the world do I do this? You know, it looks like Jacob's ladder to me. So anyway, until I actually watch physically watch somebody, um, you know, do it, it's kind of like tying a tie. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Congratulations to both Dominic and Chris this week. Hey, folks, don't forget to send in your question or comment, and you will be in the weekly drawing. Simply send an email to podcast at bassheads.com with your name and address in the body of the email, and we'll make sure that we take good care of you right here on the edge. Hey, we need to take our final break. When we come back, Aaron, we're going to be joining Craig Lamb with the Professional Anglers Association. And I understood from the top of the, uh, the show today, we've got some uh, major announcements. Uh, yeah, he is actually going to be um, announcing the, the dates for uh, the upcoming tournament, as well as uh, talking about um, how much money they're going to be giving away. So it's well, pretty exciting. That's it. That is exciting. All right, folks, so we'll be right back right here on The Edge. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. 
right, welcome back to The Edge, and as promised, we are joined by Craig Lamb from the Professional Anglers Association. Craig, uh, thanks so much for taking time out of your crazy schedule to, to uh, be a part of The Edge. Yeah, Aaron, thank you for having me. Uh, we've got a lot of exciting news that we can uh, tell your listeners about that, that's actually new. Well, good. Uh, we like to be on the cutting edge, uh, hence The Edge is the name of the program. So, you know, before we get into some of the announcements, can, can you bring our listeners and myself up to speed as far as how PAA got its start and really what PAA is about? The PAA began um, about two years ago after uh, a group of anglers recognized, uh, you know, a need and a desire to uh, to have events independent of, you know, the two leagues that are existing now and, uh, you know, not compete with those leagues, but also to have events in place that, uh, that they could fish. And so, you know, from that standpoint, is it is it predominantly a member-driven organization then? Yeah, it is. We are a member-driven organization. We are, you know, a service organization. Uh, we're dedicated to serving our members and, and you know, the resounding uh, benefit that our members in this category of membership anyway want are a no-entry fee, uh, you know, high-stakes, high-payback events. That's what we're that's what we're intending to deliver. Yeah. You know, and, and with that, that's that's almost unheard of, you know, because the industry, even though the sport of fishing is relatively young compared to other sports, um, you know, right now there there are no other organizations out there that is doing a no-entry fee to where, um, you know, that is then put back in the in the pot for the anglers. Essentially, you're fishing for your own entry fees. Right, and, and you know, by no means are we trying to uh, add a third league to the mix because it, it would not be good for the uh, it wouldn't be good for the sport it wouldn't grow the sport it wouldn't be good for the industry so what we want to do is, is just do a lot like what the PGA is doing and just have have a series of uh, a small series of major tournament events that we can you know where we can accommodate um, a different style format like we have at Lake Fork uh, that's conservation driven and where there is no entry fee and where there is a high payback uh, and you don't really do that by having an entire large calendar heavy schedule of of, uh, of a trail mm-hmm. that's so that's that's where we that's where we set ourselves different so kind of where do you see you know how many events do you see the paa uh in a perfect world actually hosting um in a perfect world we'd like we'd like to have uh four events in a given year, mm-hmm. uh, that would be no entry fee uh, type events with qualifiers for each one of those. And do you see those taking place all in the South, or will they be geographically dispersed? Or no, we we want to, uh, as far as that goes, we definitely want to be. Uh, you know, we want to run the run the map. We're not we're not being selective on geography. And then, how does an angler gain participation into, say, one of these events? The Qualifying criteria is there's there's two there are two levels um, there's a there's a supporting member um, and then there's a tour level member and the tour level member qualifies based on performance from the FLW tour uh, the series and the Bassmaster elites and opens and that is the, that is the upper tier of qualifying for an event like we have next April uh, the Toyota Texas Bass Classic. We are also going to have a qualifier for each one of these types of events that would open up opportunities for the anglers who who aren't necessarily going to qualify on the top end through their points. So they've got another, you know, an opportunity to get in it. So whereas last year it was predominantly, it was the one event, uh, which was a phenomenal event. I was there in attendance, gave, gave away, I think, $250,000. I know that announcement has just came out as well. And you also do some conservation um 
projects with you, you make a, a rather large donation to the conservation program is that correct right every that, that's the whole key to our to our formula is um you know again we can do we can we can uh set our 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 format different from the standard tournament because um you know we we just don't have that kind of criteria of a trail so um you know top of line with us is is the conservation and we have a great partnership with uh with Gulf States Toyota and and Texas Parks and Wildlife. Sure. So talking about the the qualifying tournament, I mean that's something new uh for 2008. How will and where will that how's that going to take place? We're going to have a qualifying event that would that would qualify the final 25 anglers out of the field of the total field of 100 to the Toyota Texas Bass Classic and we're going to have that qualifier in the state of Texas in February with the the date and location to come in the next in the next week or so because we really want to be able to give all of our members an opportunity uh, to qualify for that marquee event uh, we certainly don't want to put up any handicaps just because they can't qualify based on their performance points in FLW and Bass. Sure um, you know and in transferring from that you also have there's a lot of new uh, developments I think you know with with the office that uh, you just opened or in the process there of opening and then some of the other alliances that you've built uh, for the upcoming year. Right. We, we are centralizing our office and, and opening up an office in Benton, Kentucky. And uh, we've hired, a, uh, we've hired uh, Jamie Hairgrove um, as our operations manager. Uh, Jamie comes very qualified as um, the former operations manager for FLW Outdoors. So mm-hmm. we're really excited about her appointment. Um, we are also um, pursuing a very strong and beneficial relationship with the uh, with the collegiate bass fishing um, program um, that we're very excited about well I, I know that uh, you know when when you try to to continue to gain awareness you know in this industry it's it's really so dependent upon our youth and 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 the ones that are really the next generation and you know certainly that's a just a phenomenal organization to to be paired up with we, we really think so um, Bass has done a tremendous job with the Casting Kids program. I was fortunate enough when I was at Bass to be in the development program. So, you know, the 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 teen and under youth segment is is being is being addressed and and catered to by by them. Uh, but there's still that 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 gap between um, you know college uh, you know the collegiate the collegiate age demographic that we feel is very key and. To that end, we're supporting that by uh, we, we're going to announce next week that we're going to offer um, four paid entries into our qualifier event to the top uh, two teams, which is you know two anglers per team, um, for them to come participate in that for uh, at our invitation. Well, that's I mean that that is just that's very very exciting. I'm sure they're just as excited as uh, what you are to to be a part of that. You know, in talking about the PAA, is there of benefit to if you're let's say if you're a non-competitor why would you uh not be a part of the paa i guess would be the easier way to put it because i can see several benefits to being a part of the organization regardless if you want to compete at that level or not that's a good question and it's it's a it's actually you know as we are we're in the growth mode right now which is why we just offered opened up an office and, and hired jamie and um i've been on since july the first but really what the advantage is going to be uh, for the average angler is just the, the pure knowledge that he or she will be able to get out of our educational programs that we're working on uh, that are totally driven by um, 
by our pro members. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think the the unique um, benefit that the PAA brings is that you know there is no party line. You have some of the best pros from both sides of the equation, and you know there's a huge knowledge base there, uh, as well as a lot of fun and you know just in the traditional competitive spirit. Right, and and you know there if you look at the at the at the educational platforms available to bass fishermen, there's television, you know, there's there's radio, mm-hmm. um, there's magazines, and there's web, but there is still a missing component that we feel like, which is which is grassroots, on-the-ground, um, educational seminar-type opportunities, and that's really what we intend to uh, to roll out and offer to our members. Sure. Well, Craig, I mean, it's certainly exciting, um, you know, with, with everything that's going on. And, you know, in closing, how can... Our listeners and, and viewers uh, through Bass Edge and uh, the Edge podcast here find out more information in as far as inquiring as well as joining, you know, the PAA. Yeah, Aaron, everything that we do is going to be driven through our website. Um, just as far as, as any news uh, information and how to how to uh, how to sign up for our events and for our upcoming educational um, seminar opportunities, and they the web address is um, is proanglersassociation.com. So ProAnglers, P-R-O, AnglersAssociation.com. Correct. And then what about a telephone number, Craig? Uh, we will have the, the phone number will be available on the website because we're, we're in transition for moving our office to Bend, Kentucky. Excellent. All right. Well, Craig, I so much appreciate your time and uh, certainly looking forward to the, I guess now will be the second event uh, at Lake Fork, and, and that is in April. Is that correct? That's correct. April uh, the 18th through the 20th. So, well, very good. I appreciate so much your time, and uh, I know for a fact you will be uh, on in future appearances, but for the time being, we've got to run. But uh, thanks again for your time. Great, Aaron. Thank you, and and, uh, appreciate all your listeners uh, supporting us, and uh, I look forward to being on with you again. Absolutely. There you have it, Craig Lamb. You know, Aaron, i got to tell you, the more I listen to some of these guests that you get on there, the more amazed I am with the diversity out in the in the field. And uh, he seemed like a great guy. He is. And, you know, he was just uh, actually recently brought in um, with the organization to kind of take over uh, the helm and the steering wheel of that and, and really get the Professional Anglers Association pointed in a direction to where they should be well positioned to grow into the future. It and, seems like they got a great outreach program. Well, they do. And, you know, even though it's, it, what it states is Professional Anglers Association, there's so many things that spill over um, into just other than just being a professional angler. And, you know, I think that's certainly um, exemplified by what they're doing with the Texas uh, Toyota Bass Classic in April. You know, they are not only going to give away $250,000 to the winning team, but the Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, is going to receive a $250,000 donation uh, to go towards, um, you know, structure and, and, and basically the parks and wildlife and helping to improve uh, wildlife in the state of Texas. So, you know, I, I just really encourage people to, to check this organization out, get involved, um, because it really offers anglers another choice as far as representation. You know, certainly Bass, BASS, and FLW has done a tremendous job, and the sport would not be where it's at if it not for those two organizations. But I, I really do like what the Professional Anglers Association has going on right now. Yeah. Now, where do you see that heading in the next uh, two to three years? Well, I, I think right now, I, you know, I think um, I see them playing the role of w- what has to happen is for them to get to, let's say, a PGA 
uh, using you know the Professional Golfers Association. Uh, I definitely think they're pointed in the right direction, but I think it will be interesting to where if sponsors continue to come on board with the television coverage like it is and the awareness and uh, anglers continue to unite and push in that direction i really see you know something along the lines of a pga stemming out of that um, but the, you know there's there's a, a long road road to hoe ahead and uh, there's a lot of work to be done and i certainly think craig you know is is going to position them to to get that job done so it's it's going to be interesting I, I think it's just too early to tell right now yeah, well, from what I just heard, I think they're going to tremendous upside as far as getting people, even if they don't fish involved in that program. Oh, it's it's. I mean, if you, if you go or attend this event, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, it is just absolutely obscene the amount of volunteers that they bring in and the production and all the activities that they have for the entire family, uh, really promoting the environment, you know, conservation. Um, it, it's just a quality organization. Yeah, it sounds good. Well, buddy, I can't believe it, but we're through another edge. It goes by so quick, and I think it goes by faster each week. And, you know, folks, all I can tell you, he won't tell me who it is, but next week we are going to have a surprise that's really going to knock you off your socks. And you don't want to give us a a little hint? Uh, No. No. (laughs) That's all I can say, then. I'll tell you, but I'm not going to tell you. Well, that's fine. (laughs) Just just be that way. You'll just have to check in next week and see what the surprise is. But uh, you know what? We'll have a surprise for you, and then we'll also have your questions. Let's let's throw this out there. Let's just say it's probably going to be uh, we're going to bring in some of the Western flavor here uh, starting coming up. That's fine. You give them a hint, but you won't tell me. There we go. Yeah, okay, I see how you are. Well, folks, we'll have all that for you. See, he likes you way more than he likes me. And I, that's only because I have to work with him every week. But we're going to have that other great prizes next week. In the meantime, make sure you visit the website. It's www.bassedge.com. One more time, www.bassedge.com. You can check out what Aaron's up to. And all a plethora of fishing information right there for you on BassEdge.com. For Aaron Martin, this is Outdoors Dan. Aaron, I'll see you next week. Absolutely. All right, folks, we're out of here, and thanks for listening to this week's Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.